Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasetta from Somerset Clinician, uh, Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm really pleased to have with me my colleague and friend, Peter Bagshaw, GP in Minehead, and also uh, mental health CCG lead in Somerset. And Peter, today we're talking about living with chronic conditions. What's the importance of this? What does this mean and what's its importance? Well, I think you and I both see it a lot in surgery, but I I was looking up the figures and uh, from the King's Fund, they say that about 30% of the population, so that's 15 million people in England, uh, have long-term conditions. Uh, There's an interesting overlap with mental health problems, which again, about one in five of us will have. And if you're more, you're much more likely to have a mental health problem if you have a a long-term condition, chronic condition, and vice versa. That's not to say it's inevitable, and there's a lot that can be done about it, but it does show the the impact of it on the population. Thank you. And the links, of course, are quite complex, but um, you and I will have seen many people come into our surgeries with, with minor conditions, let alone major conditions, and doctor, I wasn't like this last week. What are you going to do about it? You know, people ask for help. And they're already going through a bereavement process of of loss, of of loss of how they were and and loss of health. And that's for, that's can be for a minor condition. So when it comes to a more important long-term condition, of course, the emotional effects can be substantially more. Absolutely. And sadly, when they come to us asking for help, Uh, our temptation is to reach for a prescription. And and that's usually not the best answer. It's a question of helping people to work through their emotions. And nowadays, of course, we've we've got a lot of resources to do that. So talking therapists, for instance, uh, and the the Somerset one uh, is available if if you just Google Somerset talking therapies, but they're available in in all areas of the UK. uh, And they have a particular focus on helping people deal with chronic conditions and live as positively as they can with them. Thank you. So we talk about chronic conditions. What sort of conditions are we talking about? A lot of us use chronic, meaning awful, don't we? Oh, I've got this chronic earache. So (laughs) chronic, of course, just means going on for a long time. So it's any condition that goes on for a long time. And as we are an aging population, that's more and more of the things that, that we have to deal with now. It's less about acute illnesses, more about degenerative diseases, memory problems, joint problems, heart problems, uh, those sort of things. So it's, it's any condition that's long lasting. So this could be anything from diabetes to a respiratory problem, such as asthma or COPD, to uh, a thyroid problem or to a a neurological problem, um, multiple sclerosis or, or motor neuron disease or any, any other thing like that, or, or any of the cardiac problems. Yes, absolutely. And anything really that interferes with us just getting on with our lives and, and doing what we are used to doing. Uh, and, and sadly, that's almost the norm uh, for a lot of us, is that as we reach a certain age, we, we almost come to expect that we can't do what we used to. And why is it that some people can have really quite substantial physical problems and remain very cheerful, and and other people actually, unfortunately, seem to become downhearted and and can really really struggle with with the challenges of, of difficult problems? 
Well, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? And hopefully we can tease that out and give some people listening to these podcasts a few tips on, on how to cope better. Um, I don't know about you, I'm always, always humbled uh, by the way in which my patients deal with quite, quite severe disease. Um, I remember a serviceman who'd been paralysed and was in a wheelchair and we we're talking about this and he said, well, it could be worse. There are a lot of people, a lot of people who've got things much worse than me. I, I get on, I can, I can still do some of the things I want to do. And, and some people seem to have this amazing ability to take the positive and rather than dwelling on what they can't do, focus on what they can do. Now, how you bottle that and put it in a prescription, I don't know. Um, but if, if we're able to switch that around so that we start focusing on the glass half full and what we can do, I think, to me, that's the secret. I don't know what you feel, Andrew. Well, there's a, there's a pop tune that was around before I, before I was born, I think, called Accentuate the Positive, Eliminate the Negative. Um, and uh, maybe it wasn't before I was born. But it, it is very much about how can we help ourselves be positive. And I think talking therapies has got great help there. But also it's about perspective. And that perspective that there's, there are people who are worse off and aren't, aren't, aren't we lucky um, with what we've got. That's not to say we shouldn't strive to help ourselves feel better or to, to help others feel better. And those of us in, in, in all the caring professions, what, what draws us to care and help people is to try and make things better for them. Um, but we all ourselves have a responsibility to try and keep our spirits high somehow. Yes, and although as professionals we tend to focus on the, uh, the professional support available, I think it's equally important that peer support, informal support from friends and family uh, can be just as helpful. Uh, and again, sometimes knowing inspirational people who are dealing with really difficult conditions, um, the, the rugby player Doddy, who has MND, which to me is one of the worst chronic conditions you can have, um, has been campaigning, for instance, to raise awareness and is incredibly positive and upbeat. So I, th I think one of the ways that we can stay upbeat is by trying to use the issues that we've got in a positive way. Absolutely. Um, Terry Pratchett kept on writing novels for a very long time after he'd started his illness, didn't he? And uh, became an advocate for dementia research and so on. Uh, you've teased out a very important thing. So the reaction we have to any loss is the same. It goes through the four phases of recognising the loss, uh, trying to prevent the loss, trying to uh, recover the loss, and finally accepting the loss and coming to terms with it. And shock and denial go with the, the, um, the um, recognising the loss. But the next phase, trying to control it, has anger and guilt. And anger is an interesting emotion because if we transform it positively, it becomes creativity. How can I change things so that they will be better? What can I do to recover this loss? Or if I can't recover it, what else can I do that's positive? And so being able to transform that otherwise frustrating condition of anger, which, which if we hold it within is so corrosive, is, is quite powerful. Absolutely. And although it's easy to look on this as a completely negative process, it can actually be a positive one. So a lot of people who've gone through this process emerge the other side more empathic 
Uh, they can relate to other people's problems and help them more and maybe even appreciate each day more. Uh, that's certainly something that's happened to me in, in my uh, chronic disease journey. Um, I don't know if you'd be able to share a little bit about that, Peter. I'm very happy to. I've, I've been very lucky and, until recently in having excellent health and able to do Joe Wick's hit workouts. And uh, uh, I'm a black belt in karate, so I'm used to being very physically active. And then uh, back in April, along with a lot of people, uh, COVID came along and hit me. And I thought, well, this is fine. 80% of people get over this quite quickly. I'm sure I'll be one of those. Um, and sure enough, after sort of three or four days when I thought I was drowning and going to die, things started to improve and they've just not got better. And I'm actually currently off work. Um, after about six months of still feeling tired, getting exhausted, um, just climbing the stairs, being unable to concentrate, I thought I'd better uh, get some tests done. And, and one of my kind colleagues arranged an echocardiogram, which uh, has shown that I've, I've got post-coronavirus, in effect, heart failure. Um, so yes, I, I've had to come to terms with, with not being able to do the things that I could do nine months ago. And who knows whether that will improve, hopefully it will, um, or it may stay stable or, or get worse, but it does make you appreciate each day. Well, thank you for sharing that, Peter. Um, of course, there is good medication available for many aspects of heart failure. I, I think the ACE inhibitors amongst others and, and diuretics can really transform people's and, and benefit them. And I'm on, I'm on an ACE inhibitor and it definitely helps. Uh, so yes, uh, to anyone with, with long COVID out there, and I, I know there are an awful lot of them, um, a lot of us, I should say, uh, then do seek uh, uh, help. And can I give a plug that uh, in Somerset, as in elsewhere, we're going to be setting up long COVID clinics where there'll be access to things like echocardiograms to see if there's something that can be done. But even if there isn't, then the attitude of mind helps. And I'm very fortunate that I've been asked to uh, help set up the uh, the long COVID clinics and, and contribute to the mental health aspects of that, uh, which I'm delighted to do. So again, you can actually use what seems to be a negative to a positive. Thank you. I don't want us to sort of focus just on COVID because we're talking about lots of conditions, but COVID is affecting many aspects of the body. And just as, as mumps left me um, 30, 40 years ago with, with no energy in, in many ways for some time, uh, this particular virus seems to affect the respiratory system, the cardiac system, the neurological system. So people get lots of differing um, symptoms, probably because the mitochondria are retired and they're not just delivering enough energy. Uh, but uh, I'm sure this one we'll learn more about and perhaps in a future podcast when the clinic's set up, we can we can visit that. Yes, that, that sounds really good. And of course, a lot of people uh, have lived with that. There's, there's all sorts of speculation about whether ME, chronic fatigue, uh, has a similar kind of mitochondrial underlying issue possibly triggered by other viruses. But there's an awful lot we don't know, isn't there, uh, about all sorts of things. There is. Coming back to the more... If I say common, that's not dismissive. The more um, recognised long-term conditions such as diabetes, um, heart disease, respiratory, whatever. And I think when I started practice 30 years ago, there really wasn't a huge amount of information for, for the general public, for patients, uh, other than what your doctor told you or the, the leaflets you might get from your hospital. Has that changed over the last 20 or 30 years? 
I think uh, we're very aware that people now have access to all sorts of uh, information. Some of it very good, some of it, frankly, a little bit cookie. Um, but I, I encourage anyone with a long-term condition of chronic disease to become an expert themselves and to tap into peer support groups, uh, to look up reputable web pages like Wikipedia or, or other good sites, uh, and, and really become an expert themselves. And I, I don't know about you, Andrew. I've, I've gone from being somebody who who tells somebody what I think is wrong with them, to going on a journey with them, and 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 sharing ideas and uh, being a, a somebody who walks with them on their journey rather than somebody who who points them in the direction. Absolutely, exploration. And once one has identified a key area um, that's important, I think um, we have a, a quite a um, strong role as professionals to guide people to good information. So whether it's the British Diabetic Association or um, um, Macmillan or uh, um, the British Heart Foundation or, or others, there are lots of special interest um, uh, organizations with a web presence who have very very useful patient information mm. yes absolutely and particularly if somebody has a, a, a slightly more unusual uh, chronic condition often they can become far more expert about their condition than the doctors that they will see because we obviously have to cover the whole spectrum uh, of conditions so there are some rare genetic conditions that that really you and I in a, in a whole world of practice will not learn enough about. So I do encourage people to become expert and, and to use their, their doctor as a resource to go with them on a journey. Thank you. And Peter, are there any particularly vulnerable groups in society where um, they can't necessarily research their own health information and, and, and maybe need health checks to, to support? Yes, and it, it's something we've done a lot of work on in Somerset as, as elsewhere. So People with learning disability, for instance, um, we know that they are much more vulnerable to physical conditions, in including uh, succumbing to COVID if they're unlucky enough to get it, but heart diseases and other things as well. Uh, and for those people, there are health checks available through the GP surgery. Uh, universal health checks, we've discussed earlier, aren't a panacea. Um, but for people with particular conditions, so uh, learning disability, and serious mental illness, I would strongly urge them to uh, respond if they're invited to a health check, because there are a lot of things that we can do to spot problems early and, and develop uh, more serious conditions coming down the line. And is there any particular single diet or, or health aspects that, 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 let's say I have a long-term condition, whether it's, whether it's cardiac or diabetic or whatever, um, what would you advise me? Are there any general health issues that I should pay attention to that are important or should I rely on the medicine that, that I'm prescribed and, and nothing else? Definitely don't rely on the medicine. So um, we're into slightly speculative areas when we start talking about diet, aren't we? Because it's so difficult to do good randomised controlled trials. To me, for instance, if you have diabetes, there are now drugs which get rid of the sugar in your bloodstream and improve uh, your outlook in diabetes. Uh, to me, a, a more obvious way of helping is to stop taking the sugar in in the first place. So for people with diabetes, um, good metabolic function, so reducing obesity, reducing sugar, which of course includes simple carbohydrates, uh, I think has a huge influence. And 
people like David Unwin, for instance, you, you can look him up on Twitter as low carb GP. He's now reversed type two diabetes in over half his patients uh, with diet. So I think the things we've discussed earlier about, um, about good nutrition, eating whole food rather than processed food, not eating too much, not putting toxins in our body, alcohol and tobacco, and regular exercise if our condition allows, all of those things apply even more. Um, I'd invite your views on this, Andrew. What, what do you think are the most important? I, I completely agree. I would agree with all of that. And, and high-quality sleep is the most is the most amazing medicine that uh, helps the immune system. And I was really interested to hear about the, the diabetes that you were talking about and how it's sometimes being reversed with low-carb diets. If I would imagine that if, if you're sort of stable on the medication that you're on and you change your diet quite dramatically, that might cause problems perhaps. So it's best to discuss with your doctor first whether you're going to change in a major way because what you don't want to do is to reduce your ambient blood sugar and perhaps be on a sulfonylurea or some of the, the newer drugs and then find that you're actually dropping your, your blood sugar lower than you wish. Yes, you're absolutely right. If if you have pre-diabetes or mild type 2 diabetes and you're on no medication, then there's absolutely no worries at all about switching to a low-carb diet. But you're quite right. If you're on uh, medication that drops your blood sugar, and particularly, of course, insulin, you have to be very, very careful. Uh, otherwise, you, you can get into problems with, with hypoglycemic attacks. So yes, definitely do it in consultation uh, with the GP. Not all GPs are, are set up for this. Uh, there's variable knowledge about it, variable interest, and there are lots of peer support groups out there uh, for people who want to go down that route. Um, and in a way, I, I'm not worried how people get to good metabolic health. I think the, the goal of good metabolic health, where uh, we are not overweight, our blood sugars aren't going up and down too much, uh, is, is the important thing. And how we get there, for, so for a lot of people, it's, it's low-carb, for some people, it's low calorie, though that's more difficult because you, you tend to get these cravings and you get the, the blood sugar going up and down. But I'm not really worried how we achieve it. It's getting to good metabolic health that's the, uh, the key. And can I get, again share a, a personal story uh, in that I personally tried uh, low carb because I was overweight, uh, not because I had diabetes, but just as a, a way of reducing weight which I thought was inevitable with the passage of time. Uh, I lost two and a half stone, uh, which is great. Didn't feel hungry all the time, so I've been very happy to continue it. Um, but in addition, things that I thought of that were inevitable parts of aging, like joint pain, um, in particular hip pains, uh, back pain, uh, and various other odd aches and pains and rashes and things like that, they all disappeared as well. And, and that's what started me down the trial of uh, the, the passage of thinking maybe a lot of conditions that we currently think of as just degenerative and age-related are actually reversible if we put the right fuel into our bodies and do the right things with them. I don't know what your experience is or your views on that. Maybe you think I'm a bit of a freak. No, I would completely agree that that is many people's experience. It's not everybody's experience, but it is the experience of, of a lot of people. And... and uh, Quite old research shows that if you underfeed an animal, I don't know whether they did it on humans, but they did it on, on rats and others, if you underfeed them rather than allow them to eat their fill, 
they live longer and last longer. They're leaner and uh, more active than uh, an animal that's allowed to eat uh, as much as is there. And I don't know about you, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in a household where the food is very good and, uh, and my, my mother was a great cook as well. And there is something about finishing what's on your plate and uh, also the, the privilege of, of, of sometimes having seconds. Um, and I'm, I'm very aware that not everybody has food on their plate to the extent that they would like. But uh, it does seem that, that as humans, as, as mammals, we, we do crave the comfort of food and we will eat more if it's there so we have to be crafty in a way and careful about what we eat um if there is too much carbohydrate in the way of my favorite tipple used to be the uh, the um, shortbread and i couldn't eat one without eating the packet whereas if you give me a hard-boiled egg i love them but i wouldn't eat four <laughs> mm. yeah absolutely and uh, unfortunately it seems as though our cravings come from a time when mainly we were starving and had to guard against famine and they haven't adjusted to times of plenty so we we are we're designed to enjoy sweet things um but i think people who try this if you're skeptical just try it yourself and and a, most people report that they have far more energy far more mental energy especially if you're able to do some exercise as well uh, exercise is a problem word for some of us because it, it's you know some of us it makes us think oh we have to go to the gym or something any activity is worth doing. Walking to the shops, walking down the street, walking up and down the stairs. Um, an exercise I do with people sometimes because I do do some some uh, online work and coaching is to together we will stand up and sit down and put a, uh, ten times from the seat, including put out putting our arms over our heads. And if you do that ten times, it's amazing how you sort of expend a few calories and and you change the feeling of the body. Absolutely, and whatever your health you can do some exercise so strength exercises look to be uh, as helpful as the cardiovascular workouts so i often say to patients for instance if they have arthritic knees and they need to keep uh, their leg muscles strong just sitting down hold your legs out straight in front of you and hold it until you feel the muscle starting to pull and be tired and that's something you can do without putting any strain on the joints at all so it's always possible to find some sort of exercise that you can do. Yes, activity. Exercise may challenge us, um, but uh, activities. So, and there are various. Uh, I'm sure there are various apps and various um, devices that help us encourage. And when it comes to food, one way of of encouraging ourselves not to eat too much is to to buy smaller portions mm. uh, or uh, small pack packets if it's a packet food that we're eating. Um, but that rationing is is. I don't know about your self-discipline, Peter. Mine's not always as good as I would like it to be. I, I love the uh, Oscar Wilde quotation, I can resist anything except temptation. <laughs> I've forgotten that one. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, we, we are all fallible human beings, aren't we? So not putting temptation in our way, I think, is, is absolutely the way to go. And for people who have chronic disease, these small changes can make a big difference. It, it may not solve the underlying problem that they have but if they can have a bit more energy a bit more mental positivity um maybe their their pain eases even by 10 10 percent that can make a huge difference to their quality of life and of course we're in somerset which is a privilege to have nature near us wherever we live uh, and the ability if we can get out there or contact it 
does lift our spirits. Nature is, is amazing. Any of us who've watched David Attenborough's programmes know that, that it uh, just uplifts us in, in all sorts of ways. And if we have a particular problem, there's always um, the Somerset Mine Line, if we've got a particular mental health issue that we want to discuss. And I think that's 01823 276 892. Uh, memory that's Somerset Mine Line which is a, a gateway in and uh, we talked about Somerset talking therapies earlier as well absolutely lots of help available and it's something that there's an increasing focus on because more of us are living longer so more of us are living with chronic disease so it's something that as a health service we're waking up to and responding to so I would encourage anybody who's feeling trapped who's feeling uh, isolated, who's feeling that they can't do what they used to and is getting down about it, do make contact with your, your doctor or any of the other support out there that you've mentioned. There are things that can be done to help. And the f- final uh, resource, the NHS Fitness Studio is worth looking at on nhs.uk, www.nhs.uk and look for Fitness Studio. Which Absolutely. Is- and I, I don't get any... Um, uh, anything back from Joe Wicks, but I will give him another plug because he's just released a, a fitness video, a low impact fitness video for seniors. So uh, that's all freely available online as well. Oh, well, that's great. Well, neither of us, of course, um, David, uh, Peter, uh, are very senior. I was trying to describe <laughs> the podcast to somebody the other day and uh, they said to me, well, you're just two grumpy old men. And I said, well, we're not that old and I hope we're not grumpy. <laughs> No, no, I agree. I, I think if we start forgetting each other's names, uh, Timothy, then, then we're in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. Until yeah. next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.